Well, we come to week three in our series on the family. Two weeks ago, we looked at the Christian wife, and we saw that she lines herself up under the leadership of her husband as an act of obedience to the Lord and as a picture of the church's submission to Christ. And then last week, we looked at the Christian husband and saw that he leads and loves his wife and his family as Christ leads and loves the church. And we're going to cover the two remaining relationships that Paul mentions in the book of Ephesians as it relates to the immediate family, and that is parents and children. How is it that a child is to relate to his or her parents, and how are parents to relate to children? Now, if you're currently raising children or anticipate that you will be someday, then obviously God's word is applicable to you. But I want to step back For just a minute, because while Paul addresses the immediate family in in this passage in Ephesians, I want to make some comments about extended family, especially to those of you whose children are grown and gone. In modern culture, extended family is often separated by great distances, and you may not see your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your nieces and nephews very often, but as you have opportunity... Look for ways to be influential in their lives. Tell them about your life and faith. There was once a grandmother who was doing just that. She was telling her little granddaughter what her childhood was like. And she told about skating on a pond in the winter, about gathering eggs each morning, walking to school, playing on her tire swing, which hung from a tree, riding a pony, picking wild raspberries in the woods, what her church and Sunday school was like, just stories of her everyday life. And the little girl listened with wide eyes until finally she said, Wow, Grandma, I wish I'd gotten to know you sooner. <laughs> because, you know, she was fascinated by what her grandmother had to, had to say to her. And children can benefit so much by spending time with people who are older. In Proverbs 13, 22, God's word tells us that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And the inheritance you leave to future generations can be vastly more important and significant than money. You can leave an inheritance of wisdom to them. To the ancient Hebrews, God actually turned this into a command. In Deuteronomy 4, 9, he said, Take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Moses says that as you age, don't neglect your soul because if you do, you might forget what God has done for you. But he also says, take what's in your soul and make it known to your children's children. And so I ask you to look for ways to do that. I heard just this week of a boy, a 10-year-old boy, here at Colonial, and on his 10th birthday, his grandma and grandfather each gave him a book that had been significant and helpful to them in their Christian lives. And they wrote him a note on the cover of the book, and then they went page by page, and in the margin of that book, they wrote out definitions for any of the old words that he might not have recognized. They don't live in Cary. They don't see their grandson as often as they probably would like, but they thought of a nice and creative way to be influential to their grandson. So please be concerned 
about children who are two and three generations after you and look for ways to teach, encourage, and influence them. And if you're still raising children, look for ways to have your children be involved in the lives of those who are older and give them an opportunity to impart wisdom to your kids. All right, that was one big parenthesis. To the immediate family, in Ephesians chapter 6, which is where I invite you to turn, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, and Paul turns his attention to children and to parents, and he gives each of them two commands. To the parents, he's going to say, don't provoke your children and raise them up in the Lord. But first, to children, he says, obey and honor. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. The word child there in 6.1 is a fairly broad and general term. It gives no indication of the child's age. It doesn't mean a young child. It doesn't mean an old child. It just means offspring. So as he refers to the household, he chose a word that probably means any child who lives at home. I noticed the singing waiters who came in and sat down. Now, singing waiters, let me ask you this. How many of your parents have rules that begin with, as long as you live under my roof? Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, see, some of you, my, my parents raised three boys. Stephen told it. your dad raised four sons. He probably had that rule too. As long as you live under my roof. And I'm happy to inform you parents that you are on solid biblical footing as far as Paul is concerned because I think that's exactly what he means. Children who are in that household, this applies to you. As long as you're in that household. These are your rules from God. So in this text... Paul assumes that children are present and listening as he addresses them directly. Now, I know there are some children here tonight, and the waiters are here as well, but most of us are adults. So, students, I want you to listen closely. But what I want to do with this passage is I want to take what Paul says, and I want to address it to parents. I think it would be most helpful for us to consider these verses in light of what Paul says parents should require of their children. Parents should expect both obedience and honor. Obedience to parents simply means doing what the parents say. It means that your children yield to your authority. The word obey has the idea of yielding to a superior. It's not the same word that Paul used back in in chapter 5, verse 23, where the wife lines herself up under her husband out of respect for his position. In a marriage, two equal people join together and one lines herself up under the authority of the other. But that is not the case with children. There is no joining of two equals. Children obey simply because they're children. There is an inherent Inferior, superior relationship. Your children are not your peers. Your children do not have an equal say in family matters. Children are not allowed to rule the household. Paul emphasizes the importance of obedience by telling children that it is right. It's not just something that's suitable or fitting. It's not just something that's less embarrassing to me as a dad when my children obey me, although it is less embarrassing to me. But it is their duty. God obligates them to obey. And so obedience is what we as parents must require. 
The phrase in the Lord there in that passage modifies the word obey. It means that when children obey you, they are obeying God. So for parents, we can conclude a couple of things. First, we can conclude that we should never ask our children to violate the will of God. And we teach our children that the primary reason they obey us is because God requires it. Probably every parent here has had the experience of telling their child to do something, and the child says, but why? Right? And as children get older, and as children have learned to obey without question, it's a really good idea to answer the why question. Because it will help children understand God's commands, and it will actually help them be better parents someday themselves. But ultimately, they obey because God tells them to obey. Parents should ground the answers to the why questions in Scripture. Why do you require what you do? Hopefully, for most of it, you require it because God requires it or because it reveals something about the character of God. You see, there's a biblical reason why we do chores and take care of our possessions. There's a biblical reason why children should not fight. There's a biblical reason why children should be polite. When one of my sons told me a lie, I responded with discipline, but I included a really great speech. (laughs) about how lying was bad. Because daddy can't trust you if you tell a lie. And you want daddy to be able to trust you because if daddy can't trust you, you're going to lose out on privileges because I don't know if I can trust you when you go out and you ask me to do things. And so you're going to have to prove to me that I can trust you. And on and on I went. It was a really, really good speech. But here's the thing. Everything that I said might be a consequence of lying, but it doesn't get to the real issue. Why should my son not lie to me? Well, he shouldn't lie because God hates a lying tongue, right? We want to tell the truth because God is truthful and Satan is the father of lies. God is truth. And that's what I need to communicate to my son and that's what you need to communicate to your children. Tell your children what God thinks about what they are doing because parenting is an opportunity to represent God to children. And this becomes important when your children are ready to leave you. Your child is much better positioned to live a godly life if his or her convictions are based on what God has said rather than on what you say. Your goal is is an adult child who will live obediently to Christ. And so parent with that goal in mind. Your children need to obey you, so require what God requires and point that out to him. Now, I don't need to remind you that God takes the obedience of children very, very seriously. There are references all over the book of Proverbs that talk about the importance of children listening to and obeying their parents. In Romans chapter 1, Paul discusses those whom God gives over to their depraved mind. And and he lists some characteristics there, and he includes disobedience to parents. Romans 1.28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, 
Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents. Paul also lists disobedience as one of the signs of the difficult times that will mark the last days. In 2 Timothy 3.1, he says, But realize this. In the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. And so my point is this. We are not doing our children any favors when we fail to require their obedience. When one of my sons was a toddler, he was doing something really naughty, and I can't, we can't remember what it was. I asked Lori, and she couldn't remember. But we remember uh, starting to correct him, and he got teary-eyed, and he said, I just wanted to be funny. And, and for Lori and I, the problem was we thought he was funny too. And so we started laughing, and, and, and instead of correcting him, we were all just laughing about what he had done that was naughty that day. Now, Obviously, that incident is not going to ruin my son, I I hope, But um, if it doesn't become a pattern. But here's the problem. Disobedience that seems cute at age two is not so cute at age eight, and it's downright ugly at age 14. Letting children do what they want might seem kind, and it's certainly easier, but listen to this. If we don't require and help our children obey us, we are allowing them to be positioned against God. And that's not a good place for them. It's not a good place for us. Tied to obedience is this idea of honor in this passage. Honor refers to the attitude your child has toward you. Obedience is how they actively respond to you. Honor is how they think about you. And honor is really hard to develop sometimes in a child, because even though you can see evidence of honor, you're dealing strictly and solely with the heart. A child can technically obey you and do what you say, but do it with a bad attitude. So honor requires both the obedience and the proper attitude. Now, frankly, sometimes parents are so happy to get the obedience that they ignore the attitude. Your child might be mumbling under her breath. She might be rolling her eyes, but at least she's doing it, right? You might be tempted to see that as a victory because the bedroom's being picked up like you asked her to. But it's not a victory because children are to both obey and honor. And honor is a heart issue. And ultimately, it's God who addresses matters of the heart. But as parents, we also concern ourselves with heart issues and we cooperate with God in reaching the hearts of our children. That's why we teach and require from them what God teaches and requires from them. Here are some ways that you can help your child obey God's command that they honor you. It certainly means that they obey you. They can't disregard what you say and still honor you. But there's more. For example, help your child to be, learn to be grateful. Appreciating what someone does and expressing that, that they don't take it for granted is a way to show honor. Help your child learn to show respect. Having good manners, being polite and courteous 
is a way to show honor. Work with your children on showing honor with their body language. For example, in Leviticus 19, God says that we should rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man, which is why I don't dye my hair. (laughs) So the way a child presents himself, though, demonstrates honor. The The way they act around adults can demonstrate honor. Help your child with his or her vocabulary, teaching them to show honor with what they say. Proverbs 20.20 says that whoever curses his father or mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. Now, a curse is more than just wishing someone ill or using profane words. That word curse literally means to make light of. So if your child speaks to you like you don't matter, your child is cursing you. Biblically, if your child says, whatever, your child's just cursed you. If your child makes fun of you to his friends, your child has cursed you. So we teach them to speak in ways that demonstrate honor. Now, you could add more to that list. We understand what honor is when we see it, and we can recognize dishonor as well. But here's the point. Parents, both attitude and action is important. And we need to work with our children on both because God requires them to obey and honor us. Now in the text, Paul proceeds then in verse verse 2 to give another motivation to children to obey and honor their parents. He's already told them to do it because it's the right thing to do. And now he tells them that things will go better for them if they do. Paul says in verse 2, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Paul, of course, is quoting from Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments where Moses says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. All right, parents, let's be honest. How many of you have used that verse to tell your child that if they obey you, they'll live long, and if they don't shape up immediately, they may not live through this day? Right? It's remember, remember Bill Cosby? He used to say, what did he, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. See, that's how Bill Cosby applied. Now, that's not exactly what Paul is saying here. But, um, although I, I said it just this afternoon to one of my sons. But um, here's what I believe Paul means. Back in Exodus, Moses is saying that obedience to parents brings the blessing of God. To Israel, one of the evidences of God's blessing that was that they would get to stay in the promised land. Ezekiel 22.7 clarifies this by listing failure to obey parents as one of the reasons why Israel lost its land. Living long in the land is not an individual promise that individual children would have a long life. It was a general promise that the people would remain under God's blessing, whereas disobedience would bring them out from God's blessing. So Paul quotes Moses simply to make the point that obedience brings blessing, and Israel is an illustration of that. God's favor rests on the obedient. Life is better, more joyful, happy, and peaceful when children obey. God is pleased when children obey, and they will be under his blessing. So your children are to obey you and honor you. They are to do what you say and have a proper attitude 
as they do it. They do it because when they obey you, they are obeying God. They do it because it's right, and they do it because things go better when they do. And then in verse 4, Paul turns his attention to fathers, and while he addresses it specifically to fathers, mothers will also find application in what he says here. Verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So fathers have two commands from Paul regarding children. Don't provoke them and bring them up. So we need to understand what provoking is and is not. For example, provoking does not mean that we never cross their will or deny their desires. It does not mean that we give in to whatever our child wants or that we prevent them from getting upset with us at all costs. What it does refer to is goading or prodding a child toward anger. It means to irritate them, to push them into a state of resentment. Paul expands on what he means over in Colossians 3.21. He makes the exact same point, but he adds this phrase so that he may not lose heart. What fathers are to avoid is damaging the spirit of children, causing them to lose heart, give up, become resentful, angry, or discouraged. Instead of being cruel and harsh, fathers are to be careful and wise. Now, I want to consider this from the positive side as well. We make sure that we don't provoke But we can also take the initiative to actively encourage our kids. As Christians, we ask our children to do hard things. I believe it's possible to ask and expect a great deal from children and at the same time guard them from resentment. And one main way we do this is by giving children a great vision of God's purpose for them. Here's an example. One of my boys becomes easily discouraged when I don't allow him to do the things that the neighborhood boys get to do, or when he can't have something that neighborhood kid, that his friends have. He becomes discouraged when he feels different. For him, I need to cast a vision to follow in the spirit of Daniel and dare to be different. I need to have him, help him have a great view of what God might be able and willing to do for a boy who's willing to go against the crowd. I don't give in and tell him, oh, well, if the neighbors are doing it, then sure, go right ahead. I don't do that. And I don't expect him to always like my decisions, But I can try to actively guard him from discouragement by casting a vision that's greater than what he's currently thinking. I've never been in the military, so I've never been through boot camp. Uh, But my nephew right now is in boot camp, and he doesn't get computer time very often. But when he does, he logs onto his Facebook account and just tells us how horrible it is. He hates it. He wants to come home. It's hard. He's tired. He doesn't get enough sleep. He doesn't get enough food. He just complains all, this, all the time on Facebook about it. But like most young soldiers, what I expect of him is that even though he will complain about the toughness of his training, in the end, I expect that he's going to be willing to lay down his life for the cause that he's chosen because the men that he's training under are going to instill in him a vision of greatness. 
Provoking or exasperating is not a matter of how hard it is. It's a matter of attitude. Kids will become exasperated and provoked by a parent who is consumed with the trivial. Parenting is not trivial. It's part of God's great plan. And the more we can show that to children, the more we will help them see that what we require of them is something great. You see, a father's perspective on parenting and raising children is critical. Two fathers could give the exact same command, and one could contribute to provoking a child, and the other could inspire a child. Let's say there's two families, and they're each at home in the living room, and both fathers tell their child to quiet down. One dad does it because he's bothered by the noise. It irritates him. The other dad is concerned that his child is being inconsiderate and he wants him to grow up to be polite and respectful of others. The first dad snaps at the child and then goes back to his newspaper. The second dad speaks gently and patiently and works with his child. Both kids are being noisy. Both kids need to quiet down. Both kids are going to get disciplined if they disobey. But one dad is parenting from selfishness And the other is parenting based on a greater vision of who God wants his child to become. So again, provoking your child is not tied to what you require of him or her. Provoking is tied to how you require it. The second duty of fathers there in verse 4, and mothers really, is to bring them up. The word for bring them up has two meanings, both of which are true for parents. It has the idea of providing bodily nourishment or the physical bringing up, uh, but it primarily relates to education or training of a child to maturity, especially in this context where Paul says we are to bring them up in discipline and instruction. Discipline literally means the training or the instruction of children, but in the Greek world, That word evolved over time to be commonly thought of as discipline or chastening. And it's really not a bad transition, I don't think, because because effective instruction for sinful children includes chastening and discipline or correction. We are correcting negative behaviors and attitudes and trying to move our children toward godly behaviors and attitudes. Bringing up children does sometimes involve chastening and discipline. We discipline our children when we train them, when we set standards and boundaries for them, and we rebuke them for crossing those boundaries. We bring them up in the discipline of the Lord, but also, it says, in the instruction of the Lord. Instruction has to do with admonition, warning, and exhortation. It involves correction by word of mouth. Broadly, it has the idea of reproof, advice, encouragement, and teaching. We provide our children with the instruction of the Lord when we tell them and show them what God requires. We take them to the scriptures and lay before them the truths we find there. We tell them, here is the way, walk in it. We point them toward the one who created them and urge them to follow him. We tell them the message of the gospel and encourage them to respond to what Christ has done. We instruct our children in the things of God. Paul's point in using these two words, discipline and instruction, is to present both sides of bringing up a child. 
It involves the verbal instruction and correction, and it involves discipline. We can't neglect either one, and at the same time remain faithful to what God requires of parents. My one message these last three weeks has been that Christian families must be properly ordered. Wives, line themselves up under the authority of their husbands, actively supporting and respecting him as the head. The husband leads and loves his wife as Christ does the church. He is the God-appointed head, the loving protector and servant leader of the household. The children obey and honor their parents, living under God's blessing and becoming a blessing to their families. And the father primarily, but also the mother, does not provoke the children, but intentionally raises the children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Every person has specific instructions on how they are to relate to all the others. I want to close with five comments and wrap up my part of this series on the family. Number one, any attempt to reorder or redefine the family is an affront to God. God, as the creator of marriage and family, has the sole privilege of defining how the family functions. And we are obligated biblically to fulfill the role God gave us. We are not free to redefine what family is. A marriage is the union of one man and one woman. A family is a group that is joined by marriage, birth, or adoption. Marriage and family is not open to cultural change and adaptation. Marriage was created and defined by God, and those who redefine the family do so at great peril to their souls. Number two, God has called each man to lead his family, and we must respect parental authority. We exercise grace toward each other when there are differences in family philosophy and vision. Your standards might be slightly different. Your schooling choice might be different, but these are things we do not divide over. Of course, if there's sin involved, certainly deal with your brother or your sister biblically, but if not, then we treat each other with respect. But it also means that we don't enable another parent's children to defy parental authority. And this could run the whole spectrum from extreme cases where adults provide alcohol to minors all the way to times when grandparents provide ice cream before dinner against the wishes of the parents. We respect the authority that parents have over their own children. Number three, family is good. God is pleased when his people marry and establish families. In our society, many young adults refer to marriage as being tied down. They consider marriage limiting rather than God's blessing. Marriage is not a ball and chain. And so we need to teach our children that marriage is good. Getting married, raising a family, having children is a blessing and not a curse. Number four, along the same lines, teach your children to gratefully enjoy the role that they will have in their own family. 
Teach your daughters that the role of wife and mother is wonderful. There are some young mothers in the workforce today, not because the family is poor, but simply because they consider being a wife and mother to be unfulfilling. Don't let your girls grow up thinking that earning money is what will really fulfill them and raising children will leave them unsatisfied. Teach your boys that God has called them to lead a family someday and prepare your sons to lead. Help them understand what it means to be the head of a household. I am telling you with absolute certainty and from firsthand experience that figuring this stuff out on your own is difficult and painful and many couples never do. Make sure that a significant portion of your child's training is for the very important role he or she will have in the home. And finally, the family is an area in which we need to help and encourage each other. Neither marriage nor parenting is easy. Both are hard and require a lot of work. And not only that, but if your family functions biblically, you will face cultural opposition as well. We need to encourage each other. Take advantage of every opportunity to learn and grow and be strengthened. Come to the marriage conference here at Colonial in June. For you ladies, I encourage you to participate in a program we have here called Apples of Gold. Apples of Gold is is a program that's based on God's instruction to women in Titus 2. And it will equip and encourage you in the domestic roles that God has called you to. But look for ways to be strengthened and look for ways to encourage, help, and pray for each other. We need to look out for each other. We need to encourage and pray for each other as we seek to develop marriages that reflect Christ and the church. And as we seek to raise children who walk in truth. And as we do it all unto the Lord, desiring his glory and honor to be proclaimed in our lives and in our families. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you that you have demonstrated your love to us and that you offer us the opportunity to be your children. I pray that you would bless each household and family represented here. Please help us all. Please help each wife to line up under her husband and respect him as the head that you've made him. Please help each husband to lead and love his wife as you lead and love us as your church. I pray that those of us who are married will be faithful to the vows we made. Father, if there's a marriage in crisis, I pray that in your great grace you will intervene. Cause those who need help to seek it. Cause those in sin to repent and follow you. God, please help our children obey and honor us as you've commanded. I pray for children who are as yet unsaved and ask that your Holy Spirit will give them faith to believe. I pray for children who are living in rebellion. Please soften their hearts and draw them to you and to their parents. Give us, parents, wisdom and courage as we seek to teach and train our children and raise them up for your glory. Help us to be faithful in our tasks and roles. Father, I pray that we never take our eyes off of you, but instead that we humbly and faithfully seek to know you and reflect you individually in our lives and together in our families. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.